Welcome to Cooler Conversations. I'm your host, Tyler Smiley. The Cooler Conversations podcast is the culmination of cool stories and the coolest people. If you're new to the podcast, I'd like to welcome you. And if uh, you're not so new, then I'd like to welcome you back. And thank you for listening consistently to the show. Uh, Today's episode is uh, a little bit uh, different, and it's actually close to my heart. Um, Not... When you think of a cooler conversation, you typically think of the entrepreneur, you typically think of the traveler, someone with a lot of profound stories. But something uh, something manifested in me, something uh, got a hold of me, and I was thinking, what what about the what about the conversations that are lost that we didn't have with the generation before, you know? I uh, I have two out of my four grand grandparents um, deceased, and it bugs me every single day of the stories that I did not hear about or things I did not know about in their lives. So today's episode, as opposed to reaching out to someone in the far reaches of the world to find a cool story and talk to them, I decided to hit closer to home and talk to my grandmother and my grandfather. Um, as you'll hear in this episode, they have had very, very uh, cool lives. It's it's very it's very intriguing to hear all this, um, especially from the perspective of the uh, just the the interviewer. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it, this is a completely different spin than what we've normally done, but hopefully um, this is enjoyable to you. I know it was enjoyable to me, and that's really at the base of this. All I really care about is what I gained from it. Uh, nothing really <laughs> nothing really against you guys. But uh, before we jump into the episode, I do want to give a shout-out to both of our sponsors. Uh, the first sponsor is Cardinal Chiropractic and Sports Recovery. Um, Cardinal Chiropractic was our first sponsor, and uh, if you don't know about them, Dr. Andy specializes in helping runners, CrossFitters, and anyone else who loves a fitness lifestyle feel better, move better, and have more energy. He's actually helped a, helped a few of my close friends with some of their aches and pains as well, and listeners of this podcast can get 15% off a dry needling package if they mention this podcast by name. So if you want to feel your best, check him out on Instagram at Cardinal Cairo Sports on Facebook or his website, CardinalChiroSports.com. Again, that is a 15% percent off a dry needling package when you mention this podcast by name uh, for our second sponsor i'd like to thank uh, elements cafe works akw is all about connecting through coffee offering coffees from all the major producing regions to making local connections akw wants you to enjoy coffee with other people Speaking on those local connections, Alamance Cafe Works has collaborated with local nonprofits to raise funds for the I Will Survive 5K, benefiting cancer survivors and the Alamance Regional Medical Center Charitable Foundation. And on a day-to-day basis, their local shop, the Converge Coffee Bar, has a meeting room for free uh, that you can reserve for meetings and work along with their signature brew offering gluten-free items, toasts, smoothies, and teas. Uh, as a bonus to everyone listening to this podcast, AKW is offering a 25% off at checkout when you put the promo code COOLER, that is C-O-O-L-E-R, at their website, akwcoffee.com. Uh, again, that is C-O-O-L-E-R. 25% off your purchase. Um yeah, you guys can't beat that. You can't beat the 15%. You can't beat the 25%. But, uh, yeah, let's jump into the episode. Hopefully you guys get something out of it as much as I did. Um, but without further ado, let's go. 
All right, guys, this is the Cooler Conversations podcast. Uh, obviously, you didn't hear the music. We're just going to jump into it. Today, I am joined by my grandparents. Today, it is with Cubby Lay or Columbia Lay and Dennis Lay, both my grandma and grandfather. Um, guys, I wanted to ask you guys some questions about your lives because um, time is short, right? You know something we don't? Yeah, I mean, you guys were talking this morning as if uh, something was up. No, we're Good. just being practical as far as our age goes. You never know. And according to Dr. Fauci, <laughs> <laughs> we're all going to be a mess anyway. So I wanted to kind of start from the kind of the beginning. Um, what um, kind of starting with your names, because I know especially with my generation, Names aren't really, they don't really mean anything anymore, but I know with like Columbia and Dennis, there's got to be some sort of meaning. So like, what is your full names and is there like a family lineage behind that? My name is Columbia Marie Richie Lay. Columbia comes from my aunt who was born on Columbus Day. Being of an Italian ascent, that was Columbia... My uncle was uh, Christopher, and they were both born on Columbus Day. So my grandparents named them after Christopher Columbus. And my father, when it was his turn to choose a name for the second child, which I was, he wanted Columbia. So I was named after my aunt, who was born on Columbus Day. So basically, I'm named after Christopher Christopher Columbus. <laughs> so I guess that. Have you found that you have an adventurous life now because of that? Well, my nickname is Cubby because that was given to me by the nurse in the hospital when I was born because the nurse felt that Columbia was too large of a name, it was too long for a tiny little baby. So she nicknamed me Cubby. So for years and years and years, I was always called Cubby. And then um, I went by Columbia when Dennis ran for office because that was more of a proper name rather than Cubby. So that's so then from there, uh, I used Columbia, I guess, after I was 40 years old. Columbia was my name, and then I with my business it was columbia lay photography so yeah that's how that all took place what about uh dennis what's your full name and is there any meaning behind it my full name is dennis edward lay uh don't know where the dennis came from edward uh came from my mother named me uh after prince edward why i don't know but after prince edward who was prince of wales i believe at the time and of course, Lay is a is a German name, probably somewhere in the Alsace Lorraine area of Germany and France. Uh, and that's basically it. Wow. I can't add anything. Else I actually to thought my name. I actually thought Dennis had something more to it because you guys you named your son Dennis, and then they named a son Dennis. So I didn't know if there was like a wasn't a lot of thought behind that. Okay. Really. <laughs> It was easy. Let's get it done with. It was easy. It's a very blue collar family. <laughs> um, uh, what were your what were the occupations of your parents? 
both your parents. Go ahead, Cub. Well, my father, he had his tool grinding business. Uh, he opened up Keen Edge Tool the year I was born. Prior to that, he worked at, what was it, Jacob? Jacob uh, Aircraft. Jacob Aircraft. During because, the Second World War. Yeah, because um, my he was married at the time and my mother was expecting, so therefore they didn't take him into the service. So because he didn't go into the service, he worked for Jacob Aircraft and helped build planes and went through a period of time going you know, with working, and then uh, my father, even though he didn't graduate from high school, he was very intelligent, and he basically, um, what would you, he, he, he was an inventor, so because he worked at Jacob Aircraft, he knew about the plane, so he invented what they called a deburring tool to help during that time. Uh, it had something to do with deburring tools would help what the... I've yeah, uh, would take, uh, if you were drilling through a thin piece of aluminum, the deburring tool he made would actually deburr the top of the aluminum as it goes in, as the, uh, the drill enters the hole, and then as it comes through and goes back out, it would deburr the bottom. Yeah. So it was quite unique, a little simple tool, but, but a very practical. But that was one of his big inventions. He had a couple different inventions, but he did open up his business, a tool grinding business, and that was very um, financially profitable for him over the years. So that was my dad, yeah. And what about my mom? My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and she helped my father with the business. She was the bookkeeper. Okay. What about uh, the lay side? Uh, my father was a uh, he was a musician, even from a young child. He uh, I don't know how old he was when he started taking uh, violin lessons, but he became a very accomplished musician uh, in his own right. Uh, like that was his job? Well, yes. Uh, his job, uh, he played for a big band back in the, uh, oh, about the time the Depression started, somewhere around 30 and 31. Well, he graduated from high school in 31 at the age of 16. Uh, and then he went on the road playing with uh, a big band, which traveled, oh, not only around Pennsylvania, but up and down the East Coast and... Bear in mind, that was when you didn't have interstates or anything like that. You just had two-lane back roads. Yeah. But, uh, no, he played in the band, and by that time, he was playing clarinet, saxon, uh, saxophone, and possibly a flute. Uh, and then after the band, uh, I don't well, the band didn't break up, but uh, him and my mother actually got married. And uh, my mother sort of laid the law down. She said, it's fine that you play in the band, you know, and you love doing that. But she said, uh, you know, we're going to have a family and you're going to have to get a full-time job. So as much as my father loved his music, he uh, got a full-time job at Dollar Jarvis in Pottstown. He was a draftsman, a dye designer, actually. It's a better term. And uh, he worked there for... 
just all but six months shy of 40 years. But during that time, he did maintain his his musical uh, occupation. He uh, started his own small band and was very popular around the, the Pottstown area in southeast Pennsylvania. And he also taught music. Uh, so, uh, you know, he was always involved in music. Mm-hmm. And anybody who knew him knew that he was a perfectionist in music. Yeah. Uh, when he retired. Yeah, when he retired from Dollars, he still kept his band. And uh, he was playing in the band oh, up until the day he was 87 and had a stroke. Yeah. During playing in the band. So. Wow. What I, what I find interesting is uh, that we have very talented patriarch and both sides of the family. Is there anything that Nana and my mom did as like a talent or as a, like a, a side hustle that, because it seems like in all the family stories that uh, pop up and uh, Ernie, Gram- Ernest, er- Ernest uh, did was, it was phenomenal. So was there anything that their wives did that was prominent? Well, my mother was, uh, well, she was a, a stay-at-home housewife. Yeah, and, but your mother was a fantastic seamstress. Yeah, she would make a lot of, she'd make all her own clothes, even made some of mine, some of my dress clothes when I was a teenager. Wow. So uh, she was very accomplished in that way. Well, as far as my mom, she was my dad's bookkeeper. So, I mean, even though she was always there, when we went to school, she would go down uh to do you know to do business down in Limerick because we lived in Pottstown at the time and she'd always be home before we got home so I mean she was always there so um, it's like unsung heroes yeah almost. well yeah. I, mean, I think you have to remember too we're talking about back in the early mid and even late 50s when a housewife back then uh, had a lot more responsibilities I don't want to say a lot more responsibilities. Basically, the same responsibilities, but they didn't have the technology that women have today yeah. to help them do their jobs. Yeah. Uh, as far as clothes washers, uh, clothes dryers, dishwashers, uh, vacuums and uh, vacuum cleaners. I mean, uh, it, was, it was a much more difficult job to be yeah. a stay-at-home mom. They had yeah. a lot of work, not much time to sit around and do they, they didn't have clothes do. dryers. My mom hung her clothes yeah. out. Nana always hung her clothes yeah. out, you know. So, and where we lived, there was just just a lot of work. To we lived in Limerick at first, and then in my, I guess, fifty eight, we moved to Pottstown. So then, uh, you know, we just had. We were pretty much involved with school and different things with school activities, and mom would help out at different times. So, yeah. you know, it was just a different life. Do you guys have anything in your uh, childhood that you guys um, find like a lot, very like vivid, like you guys think you guys remember very vividly, a whole bunch? Of stuff, do you guys have anything in your childhood that you just remember outright doing? Oh yeah, a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what do you remember? Like, what what do you remember about your childhood? Like, this would be like, let's say, if you guys were, because you guys are what seventy five now. 
Is that correct? You're I'll 74. Be, I'll be 75 this year. Yeah. So that would be, so if you guys were like 10, that would be what year? I'm not good at 1956. Math. So what was that like? like great fit- time. A great time, really. It was, uh, we were both, well, she lived in Limerick at that time, but I lived in Pottstown. And it was just a great time. I mean, there was so much to do. Uh, not so much to do like today. I mean, as a youngster, I'd go out with my buddies. Uh, there wasn't many homes where I lived. And a lot of fields, a lot of creeks, which we'd go out and just enjoy ourselves. Uh, plus, we'd go in town. Every Saturday morning, we'd go in town, go to a movie. And you're talking, we were only 10 years old, but... Uh, I guess what it was, something about a quarter to get into the movie and then 15 cents for a, a box of popcorn. Wow. And that was good for usually two horror show uh, two horror show features. Wow. But we often talk, you know, Pottstown was, I can't think of a better place to grow up in the 50s and early 60s. Just a wonderful place. What 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 is it about then versus now that makes it so much more wonderful? We had a lot more freedom then, and you might you might respond to that and say, well, what are you talking about? You're a kid. What do you mean freedom? We did have freedom. We didn't have nearly, uh, and when we played games, we didn't have adults supervising us. Adults were too busy making a living. Uh, we'd make up our own rules. We'd argue, have our own arguments. Sometimes that resulted in fights. But you learn to get along, and uh, uh it was, uh, I don't know, it was just an easier time, of course, and most people in the neighborhood and even in the broader sense knew everybody's kid. Mm-hmm. So if you were doing something wrong and some neighbors saw you, your dad would tell you about it that night when you got home. So, so it doesn't seem like it's very easy to get away with anything back then. Well, when you say it wasn't yeah. easy, it, it was much easier i when i was living in limerick i was like a tomboy so i used to climb the trees and play with my neighbors when i come home from school i'd go out my dad built swings for me and i used to go out and sing and swing i had my dog and i used to play with my queenie and uh we we lived close to Lakeside Inn, and so in the winter time we'd ice skate. Uh, when I was six years old, my dad bought me a twenty-six-inch bike at six years of age. <laughs> wow! My it was the Columbia Roadmaster, and uh, I used to ride that bike. Where we lived, we had enough ground where we could play baseball with the because there was. Quite a few boys in the area played baseball, played hide-and-go-seek. My dad built me a treehouse. We used to play in the treehouse, my brother, my sister. Uh, my brother is four years younger. My sister's four years older. But when we were young, we had a lot of good times, and then we moved to Pottstown, and that was back in 50, 58. So when we moved to Pottstown, we lived in the east end of town, and there were a lot of girls on my block, so I had a lot of girlfriends, and the biggest thing was Sunnybrook. 
Mm, yeah. <laughs> and Sunny that's Brooke. where I first saw Dennis and had a crush on him for all those years, even though we never really talked. Cause and how old I, were you guys then? I Sixth was, grade. I was 12 or 11. or Yeah, yeah I was 12. And um, went to Sunnybrook all the time. We lived at Sunnybrook during the summer. It was a wonderful place because you, you didn't have to go with your parents. All the kids would go. We had individual season tickets. And um, we lived close. The East, the East End Gang lived real close to Sunnybrook, but the North End Gang, which uh, Dennis was involved in, he would come out on his bicycle and ride to Sunnybrook. <laughs> <laughs> and brings back memories. Yeah, of crossing just, the. Well, it's okay. Go ahead. But um, I had a lot of friends that went to. Uh, Pottstown High School, but I was a St. Pius kid. So uh, during the summer, I was friendly with all the Pius, uh, all the uh, senior high Pottstown kids because they lived in my street. But then when the winter came and I went back in school, then I hung around with my St. Pius kids. So I had a lot of friends, a lot, a lot of friends. <laughs> So were you both pretty popular back then? Uh, you guys sound I, like the I don't, sound yeah. like the run of the town. Know. You guys are yeah, we knew well, every yeah. It was a small, but town. everybody was popular. I mean, we yeah. had, okay. we had a lot of good friends, close yeah. friends. Everybody knew everybody yeah. because you know the town wasn't really that big. And no. like I said, I went to St. Pius, so I had uh, friends from Phoenixville, from Roarsford, Spring City, and. During the summer, all the kids that went to Pottstown High lived in Pottstown, basically. So um, you just got to know so many people, just a lot of people. Yeah, Sunnybrook, <laughs> Sunnybrook does bring back memories. I know, uh, like Cubby said, I lived in the north end, which put me a couple miles at least from Sunnybrook. But I used to leave my house on my bike and I'd cut across through the Brookside Country Club. And I'd go right across the the number one fairway. And the golfers, they would be yelling, especially if they were on the first tee. And uh, there again, they knew who I was, and they, my dad would find out. So uh, Dennis the Menace truly was a thing. So, well, sort of. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was, it was nice. I mean... Uh, it was Pottstown, like I said earlier, was just a great place to grow up in because you could be left alone. And I guess I take that for granted today that most young people understand that, but their lives aren't like that. No, They don't have the freedom that we had because it is a, it's a more dangerous environment out there today for, for kids. We never had to worry about that. That never even entered our minds. I'd have breakfast in the morning if we weren't in school and, uh, I'd leave the house with either my guns and my, and I'm talking about toy guns here, but my toy guns and my cowboy hat or else my army get up. We were going to play army that day or whatever. And I wish my mom wouldn't see me till lunchtime. I'd come home, eat a quick lunch and go back out again. Wouldn't see me till the dinner time. And we might be a couple miles away from our home playing. 
And uh, my parents didn't have to worry about it. It wasn't that they didn't care. It was just a much more easier time and a safer time, which we don't have today. Going to school, uh, when we moved to Pottstown, I was in walking distance. So I was about, what is it, five blocks from Sunset Drive to the church, to the school, because I went to a church school, a parochial school. So I'd walk to school every day, walk home every day. And when uh, I was in high school, I'd walk. That was a mile. So I used to walk to Pius every day by myself. On rainy days, uh, my mother would either drive us or the neighbor would take us up because, uh, you know, we had different friends on the neighborhood that they would do that for us. But, uh, and we walked to Sunnybrook. What was Sunnybrook? A half a mile? Two mi- a mile to and a To your half? house. Yeah. Probably not even a half. No, more than a half, that's for so, sure. But when we went to Sunnybrook during the summer, we would be down there all day, come home for, yeah. for dinner, and turn around, go back, and Mr. Hartenstein kept it open till 11 o'clock at night. We had dances. We had movies. Yeah. Uh, it was it was really just fun and and parents didn't worry about you you didn't no. have to cuz we had f- friends that we'd walk down with i mean it was like it, it was just different just. yeah well to illustrate too the environment back then uh in Philadelphia, and Pottstown is only 40 miles west of Philadelphia, but and we always watched the Philadelphia News. There was only three stations at that time. But uh, on the news, you would never hear of a murder in Philadelphia. I mean, if there was a murder in Philadelphia, you were shocked. Yeah. And there was never one out here where we live. I think the uh, murder, when I was growing up, the only murder that people ever talked about was the murder that happened in 1938. Some fellow by the name of Green. So, uh, wow. that's, you know, that's the way life was then. It was different. People were more responsible and for their own actions. Yeah. Kind of moving along in your lives, uh, what did you guys want to do when you grew up? Like, I, I imagine you guys have kind of strayed down a completely different path or you guys did you guys do what you wanted to do did i'll let you know when i get there okay (laughs) (laughs) no really didn't i didn't really have any projections because when i graduated from high school uh i was in the commercial course so uh i worked at gerard investment for a year and then I went to Pottstown Metal Welding. I was working as a switchboard operator and the clerk. And then I had an opportunity to, well, I shouldn't say, when I graduated from school, I went to Ursinus College because I was good with figures. I was in the accounting course. And uh, I didn't finish my semester because uh, I had gotten a job at um, at the investment company, Gerard Investment. And then, uh, like I said, when I was working for Pottstown Metal Welding, I was doing the payroll. And um, then I had the opportunity to 
work at General Electric, the Missile and Space Division. So I was down there during the 206 and the Voyager project. And that lasted, um, I was there until I got married. And uh, I had to quit when I was pregnant. So because at that time, they didn't really like women pregnant. You know, you had to take a leave of absence, but I quit because I, you know, when Tina was born, because I wanted to stay at home with, with the kids. And that's when dad was working. So you'd pick up from there. Well, uh, I don't know. Growing up, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, I went to school. I hated school. Didn't like it at all. Couldn't wait. Sat in school all day long, looked out the windows and daydreamed. Uh, did enough just to get by with D's and C's. Uh, but uh, in high school, I did, uh, I did, I had no intention of going to college. And back then, not everybody went to college. In fact, fewer people went to college than didn't. But uh, uh, I knew I wasn't going to college, so I, I took the vocational course. Uh, and I took mechanical drafting, which is what my dad was, really. Mm-hmm. So uh, I figured, well, I can do that, and I was good at it. Uh, and uh, then when I got out of school, I I put in for a job. Well, when I got out of school, I first uh, worked at where I used to work when uh, at part-time, and that was in a... Uh, uh, a tuxedo rental store and a dry cleaner. Oh wow! And it was right actually, next door to where right I was next, working. Right next door to where she was working. And still, at that time, we had not spoken. No, but she used to walk by it and wave in the window, and I'd smile and wave back. <laughs> so, because uh, there was always something intriguing about her ever since I saw her in Sunnybrook at, in sixth grade. But uh, uh, anyway. Uh, and you were drafted. Yeah. Well, I was. I I started. I I left the former wear store. I went to work at Dollars, which is where my dad worked. Only not as a draftsman, but as a dime maker, a tool and dime maker. Because mm-hmm. I did like that. Because when uh, when I turned sixteen, I left sports behind. I played football in school. I played basketball. But by the time I became sixteen and was able to drive, the only thing on my mind was cars. And I like to work on cars. And uh, so always making hot cars and, of course, doing things you shouldn't be doing with them, racing them, let late nights on on streets that uh, are fairly unoccupied. But uh, anyway. It's the first I've heard of this. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, then uh, after I just started at Dollars, I guess within two or three months, I got a draft notice because that was when the Vietnam buildup just began, and uh, I had to I had to go in the army. Went in the army in October of '65, uh, and I was in there till October of '67, till I got out, and then I returned to Dollars again and finished my apprenticeship. Wow! And then obviously you've done more, and we'll kind of cover that yeah. a little bit later. But uh, I want to touch now a little bit on uh, the waving in the window. Um, <laughs> what was uh what was that scenario? Well, he was next door. I always had a crush on I shouldn't say like Dennis said, there was always something there. 
but we never spoke because he was so popular in his class and I always sort of held back, you know, when we'd see him at Sunnybrook, he'd be flirting with all the girls and whatnot. But um, but I had other friends during this time and, you know. But anyway, when, when I got this job at Gerard Investment and Ralph's uh, formal wear was right next door, so he'd come out and then he would walk by and then I would wave to him, and he would wave too and go back to the sandwich shop, come back, and vice versa. If I would go out on the street and go past a formal wear and he was in there, we'd wave to each other. That was it. And now, But the thing was... Did you purposely walk by at this point? Were you just like, hmm. No, he was going to the sandwich yeah, shop. Yeah, I would, at lunch break. But there was like none of it where it was like, I'm going to pass it and wave at that girl next door. Well, I knew she was in there. Okay. So, you know, I wanted to wave. Okay. So this was going on a couple different times, and the lady I was working with, Miss Clary, I said to her, I said, I'm going to marry him someday. (laughs) And she looks at me, and she said, oh, are you going out with him? I says, no, I never even spoke to him. And she (laughs) laughed. (laughs) So I'll never forget that. So then uh, that was pretty much of what took place until I left Gerard. And, of course, he was drafted. And during that time, I was writing to different servicemen, different friends that I knew, because that was the thing to do Mm -hmm. to keep up their spirits. So so there were a couple different fellas that I was writing to at the time. And uh, I had written to him, and uh, lo and behold, he wrote back. (laughs) <laughs> well, the others wrote back too, but he wrote back and decided he was going to come home and leave. So you can pick it up there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got me at a loss now. Uh, Weren't you dating someone at the time? I knew that you were engaged. I was. Time. I was engaged, but then I broke it off when I got the draft notice because I yeah. just didn't think okay. you know, I wanted to continue. And we weren't engaged very long. So. But, uh, so we ended that, but, uh, yeah, when I, uh, I guess I got out of the military in 67, came home. And of course I did come home, I think twice, be ta- right. yeah, you twice before home. I came out. Well, yeah. let me back up a little set. Okay. Yeah. Too. uh, the reason she wrote me and this is, you know, fate too, if you want to call it that or Providence, as I would rather say, uh, I was, uh, I made sergeant in uh, the spring of 67. And I wrote home and told my mom that my mom, who I had no idea she was going to do it, put it in the paper. (laughs) And that's where, that's where Cubby saw it. Wow. And that's where she decided to write me then. So, and I thought, oh boy, Cubby, you know. I, <laughs> so that was the first time, even though we we weren't necessarily speaking verbally, but by handwriting, was the first time we ever had contact with each other. But he came home, and the first thing he <laughs> wanted to do is to go visit his friends, but he wasn't allowed to drive his car. It wasn't. He, I wasn't allowed. It wasn't insured. It wasn't insured. So his father said that he couldn't drive. 
So he wanted me to drive him around, and I had a brand new Pontiac Sprint. My wow. dad was ready to, so my dad was very, very upset with this. Well, anyway, I finally <laughs> won out, so I picked him up. We went driving to his friend's house, and he spent uh, the afternoon going over with his friends, and I'm sitting here like a bump on the log. So towards the end of the evening, when we went back to the house, I said I didn't want anything to do with him. And I was a little into myself then. And <laughs> I didn't want, I, I was so upset. I took off, went home, and I thought, that's it. He's a jerk. <laughs> so the next day, he calls and apologizes, and his father was able to get the insurance on yeah. his car. So then um, he picked me up, and um, I guess that was the yeah, start of start, it. Yes, things started that was the, the move start then, of it. Yeah. He finally, see, I had to crush his ego is what I oh, had nice. to do. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that was the start of it. What was the proposal? Now, I I know some of the backstory, and I know um, a little bit. What was the, when you proposed, was there any pushback with the families? Is there any, I know Nana can be very particular. No, not with us. Okay. No, although the only thing, I guess, when my, when I. Bought the ring. When I bought the engagement <laughs> ring and brought it home and showed it to my parents. Of course, my mom was very, she was very happy and excited about it. All my dad could think of was how much money I wasted on it. <laughs> my dad could be as he was a great father, but at times he could be very grumpy and grouchy. Uh -huh. But it and was if, only a tiny little diamond. Yeah. But it was. How did you propose? We went out to dinner. Yeah, we went out to dinner to the Inn of the Four Falls, which is down in Conshohocken. Was. Yeah, which is now a, a business yeah. building. But uh, it was a beautiful restaurant and had waterfalls coming right through it. And uh, it was right before Christmas, I think. Yeah. And I came home and I, my dad was waiting at the door and he was yelling at me because we were home too late. <laughs> and I said I was engaged. I said, I don't care. I don't care. Get to bed. <laughs> my dad didn't like Dennis no. at first. He called him a hot dog. <laughs> yeah. and, he was right. And your parents were a little leery about Marrying an, marrying Italian, an Italian, but Nana too. This was Denny's grandmother. She said, "It's about time we get some fresh blood in this family." Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but no, we were we were good. But being that we were Italian and Catholic, and they were Lutheran, uh, that was a little hairy at first, but. Yeah, because I know Christianity, religion, especially up here in the north, is a little bit different. Was um, was it like did you did you have to like go to Lutheran or did you go to like how did that work? Well, when we got married, we got married in the Catholic Church, and I I I still think that this priest was my angel from from the Lord because um, at the time all the the other Catholic churches they would require that you would have to go to class and you had to make a promise to raise the children a certain way and to go to different, you know, different classes and whatnot. But it just so happened that the priest 
that took over at St. Peter's, Father Augustine, uh, he was new, and when he sat down with us and went through uh, just different conversations, he didn't expect, he, he didn't ask us to go to premarital classes. No. He never pushed the Catholic faith. He said, time will, you know, as time goes on, uh, you'll make your proper decision. So You're not Catholic anymore, so. Yeah. There's your properties. <laughs> so, but we did when the children were born, we did send them to uh, catechism class. Uh, Denny and Tina both received their first communion in the Catholic Church, but that was at that point. Uh, that's when we left the Catholic Church mm-hmm. because of uh, the kids, and uh, I guess it was because. You were upset with the nuns. Well, they all were baptized in the Catholic Church. They were all baptized in the Catholic Church. But not all confirmed. Robbie wasn't confirmed. No, Robbie was confirmed in the Lutheran Church, but Denny and Tina were never confirmed that they they received their first communion. But you were upset during the catechism classes that the, the nuns were putting down the father image and raising up the mother image, mm-hmm. and that didn't sit well with him. So that Yeah, well, time. I used to pick the kids up after catechism, and I picked them up the one night, and the kids get in the car, and they said something to the tune is, Dad, you're really not important. According to the nuns, you're really not important in the family. It's just the mother is. Nice. I thought, that, well. Yeah, that said, didn't That's sit it. well. Triggered. Yeah. <laughs> so then uh, we left and went to the... The kids were going to the Lutheran Sunday school, so we had some ups and downs with our beliefs at the time, but um, I don't know. Because I know you guys even went, kind of going into the beliefs, um, you guys had that point where you guys were, um, you guys were a part of like the throwing away of like uh, rock and roll and... Oh, well, that, that was later on. Oh, okay. So there, there's been a lot of ups and downs in the, yeah. the bumps. Yeah. yeah, that wasn't until about 1980, 81. Oh, wow. Well, the kids were a little bit older. Tina, because Tina at that time, prior to that, she was, she remember, she liked all KISS program, all the KISS records and wow. all the posters and stuff. That was before we went to Colbergdale. So that was when, that was in 82, 81, 82. Can't be any later than that because 83... Uh, oh wait a minute! No, I'm eighty three. We we were going to Marshallton. Yeah, my father passed away yeah, in seventy nine. So it must have been before seventy. It was around seventy eight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because Tina was she was boy, so she was ten years old. Yeah, okay, ten nine. But she was involved yeah. with Donnie and Marie. Yeah, but we didn't Kiss. start going to Colbrookdale, though, till maybe 80, 81. But when did we come to know the Lord? I thought it was during... It was about 78 and 79. Right. It was right after that. It yeah. was in around that time. Okay. Well, let me let me back up then, because if we're going towards the 80s, um, what, did, what was it like? Because you mentioned uh, back in the 50s that life was... You know, you guys loved it, loved it as, you know, kids. What was it like to raise kids in the 70s and 80s? What was that like compared to, like, how life is now? 
Not too much different. No. No, because we remembered our childhood, and we basically sort of superimposed that on our own children. Okay. Uh, me, we, and then naturally, I guess, you know, we were a little more cautious with things. But all in all, our kids went out in the morning, and they, they played and did what they wanted, especially once we moved here to Amity, because mm-hmm. the kids have the woods behind the house, and there was a lot of kids. So it was mostly... You know, they were on their own, but usually somebody in the court, a mother or something, always was aware of where the kids were. What I find interesting about, especially that time, is this is where you guys met a lot of your neighbors and your friends. A lot of my generation, um, to be fair, we don't talk a lot with, you know, people. And I find it interesting you guys have stuck and kept in contact with a lot of the people that you guys were neighbors with. So did you guys have like a huge bond with these people around here? Or Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, all our kids were mostly the same age, so we had the same. We could, you know, you could relate to each other. Yeah, well, we better. had block parties. Yeah, we used to close off the court and have block parties, and we'd have a lot a, of fun. Yeah, a different, and the kids would play together. Yeah, they fight and carry on, but they always the next day they made up. Yeah, it was always now the only when now we had the swimming pool here too up at Amity. Yeah. And, uh, of course, we used to take the kids up there, but as they got a little bit older, they would, uh, they'd they ride their own bikes up oh, to wow. the pool. So that was, you know, we could associate with that, too. Yeah. It's not uh, too far from where you were yeah, today. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so it just seems like it was just kind of like, it's completely different than to what it is now. Cause yeah. It's almost like uh, we have the digital age, and you just, you stick on your digital phone and everything. Do yeah, you, the kids played. Yeah. yeah, they weren't they weren't in front of the television no. all day, like you know they were out playing. They had board games. They'd play kickball. They'd play football. They'd play hockey, hockey, uh, tennis, whatever. Because the tennis courts are close by, so but they were always out. Yeah, and by the time a, they built the treehouse down, right? They had the treehouse about, about sixty foot in the air, and we had <laughs> fluffy. Fluffy was a big part of the family. That was in the seventies. Well, when did we get Fluffy? It had to be in the seven. Yeah, well, Fluffy, Fluffy had convulsions when you were here as a as she a was newborn. sixteen. She no, was sixteen then. I didn't so, kill the dog, so. <laughs> so let's see. He was born in ninety two. You were born in ninety two. Yeah. So sixteen from ninety two is what. I don't know. I went to public school. 70. <laughs> is that 76, 77? 82 minus, that'd be 76. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, because Robbie would have been two years old when we got flowing. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Um, one question I was going to ask, especially with those memories of the kids, did you guys have any profound memories of the kids? Like, I've heard about the terrible Christmas, and I've heard about... <laughs> youth having kids fly out of the car and they just run off like do you have any uh, prominent memories of each kid well the one with robbie i'll never forget that christmas robbie was four years old he was going to saint gabriel's preschool at the time so he was he was just always so he was so sweet. Robbie was just a sweet kid. But anyway, it was Christmas Day. 
Everybody comes down. They're ready to open the gifts. Robbie comes down and he says, we can't open the gifts until we thank Jesus. And we prayed, and then they opened the gifts. Yeah. I'll never forget yeah. that. It was that was right here. Right here. Right yeah, there. Right there. But um, How old was he? Four. Mm-hmm. Four years old. It's a very uh, pure-hearted child yes. thing to say. <laughs> yeah, because he was going to uh, preschool at St. Gabriel's. Um, as far as Denny... Anything I can remember about Denny is always negative. (laughs) (laughs) And same with Tina. Tina. And they were always fighting, right? They were always fighting. Very competitive. When we were in Pottstown, when Tina was just three years old, I guess it was, three years old, and her, see, they were 17 months, oh, 17 months apart, yeah. So Denny was still in the crib. And so she decided she was going to uh, take care of Denny. So she went and got the powder and the Desinex and the Desinex cream. cream. And somehow it wound up all over the floor yeah. in a wooden floor. So she was good for that. Um, and she didn't like her brother. She didn't like him from the time she was 17 months old. (laughs) When we came home, she stood at the staircase with a scowl on her face, like, get rid of that kid. You know, she (laughs) She was was angry. She was so angry. This is 17 months old. So um, they fought all the time. Um, The other thing, let's see, the big thing was when Denny fell down the he was what seven months old. Nine, yeah. I thought, but um, well, he was he wasn't crawl. He had no. not crawled yet, and so I was out back with Tina because we lived in a townhouse. So the townhouse had different levels. Well, I was down in the basement level, so Dad was taking care. I was of, out front with the concrete contractor. Yeah, the guy had come to the door, so he went out. Denny was on the floor in the living room, and he had not crawled. He wasn't crawling at the time because uh, he was a slow crawler. And all of a sudden, we heard this scream, mm. and Denny got to the kitchen went to the door in the kitchen and flew down the cellar steps, concrete floor. And landed on his head on the concrete. Landed on his head. So we ran in, picked him up, took him to the hospital or took him to the doctors. Um, He had his uh, a hairline fracture, and Dr. Mann said that had had he have been older, the yeah. fracture would have opened up and it would have, you know. Oh, my. But, it, but because he was so little, it didn't open up and it didn't damage his, his brain. But his head did swell up for three days. So for three days, I held this child. I wouldn't let him out of my hands. So it was it was that kind of stuff. Um, what else? But there were... 
memories as far as Tina goes. Uh, she was grandmom's little girl. Yeah. She. Which one? Nana. Oh. She was Nana's little girl. So Nana would, you know, like to babysit Tina and tell her stories and all this stuff. I guess the one time we, that we were. Uh, At the shore. When Tina couldn't walk the boardwalk. Oh, well, that was, that's a funny thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of another, a little bit more traumatic time when she was a, oh, a little bit more than an infant, I guess. And she had, remember that? It was a hot summertime. Oh. And she had that fever. Came we had down to put her fe- in the tub. We had to put yeah. her in the tub with ice. She she had 103 t- uh, yeah. fever. She was, oh, it was terrible. I felt so bad. We didn't know what to do. Yeah. But the fever broke then. Yeah. That night, and that was fine. But then when she was nine months old, we took her to the shore. Yeah. And she wouldn't walk the boardwalk because she thought she was going to fall through the cracks. Yeah, she thought she just screamed when I put her down on the boardwalk because she thought she was going to go through the cracks. <laughs> and, yeah, I don't think she got over that till she was about 16. Still not over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was. And then there was a time with Robbie. I mean, we're talking about times like with Denny and Tina where, you know, you get gray hairs Robbie and I were at the pool, and we had our bikes, and uh, we're oh. riding home, and Robbie is coming down Old Airport Road. Before it was paved like it is now, it was just like a rough tar road coming oh, wow. down there. And Robbie wanted to race, and I told him, I said, don't race, it's too bumpy. And he was, And I could see it before it happened. I could already see it happen. Didn't he? I saw him, and I was about maybe 20 yards behind him. He was getting so rough, and he actually lost control. The wheel turned. The bike went down. He went off. Luckily, luckily, he landed on the bike as the bike slid. Had he not done that, he would have been a lot more scunned up. As it was, he had his arm scunned up, you know, and has some bruises and stuff. But that, oh. oh I mean, there's certain things that a parent remembers and it just gives you it's well the back what of your the about, hair in the back of my neck still turns up what when about i hear the time it, when i see the, that what about the time at the shore with the knife oh oh geez yeah yeah i got the filleting knife out there in the shop we don't know who to give it to <laughs> <laughs> we uh, went to the shore it was one of the times it was back there again in the 1980s uh about mid 1980s well denny was. was about 13 yeah yeah and I had purchased, well, we, we bought deep sea rods and stuff because Robbie was into fishing at that time, and so was I, and we wanted to do some surf fishing. So one of the things that I bought, why I don't know, is a filleting knife to fillet a fish. Yeah. So we're unpacking. We get to the shore house where we got a nice place on the beach. We start unloading stuff, and all of a sudden we're in the kitchen, and I hear a scream. And what Denny had, I guess Denny had a hold of the, some, Denny had a hold of the knife, Robbie grabbed it, and somehow it came out and went right across Denny's palm. Oh, my God. This is a brand new filleting knife. Yeah, this was the holder. Yeah. He grabbed the holder and Robbie grabbed the knife. Yeah, Yeah. and it just, oh, he screamed, and this was a brand new rental. (laughs) Yeah. And everything was white in the kitchen. And it looked like there was a mass murder there. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, there was blood all over the cabinets in there. Because Denny went, ah! 
yes. Oh. And you have to realize how sharp that knife yeah. was. Yeah. That knife was so, like a razor. Yeah. It was. So anyway, I rushed him over to the hospital at Summers Point, and he should have gotten stitches, but he, he just put up such a battle. The nurse and the doctor says, there's no way we can give him stitches like that. We'll just have to put the butterfly bandages on and wrap it up good. Oh my god. And that's that's what we well, did. Denny was great for stitches. From the yeah. time he was three and four years old, he was he was in and out of the hospital so many times with stitches on his head. So Were there he, points where you guys just was like, What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think yeah, I mean we look at this, but I think any parent has, you know, they have yeah. experiences with their kids that just gives them the shakes when they think about them. Yeah. Uh, because it's horrible. You think, gee whiz, thank goodness it wasn't any worse. Wow. Oh, my. And with Tina, uh, she when she was growing up here, she had a lot of our neighbors were boys, so she would hang out with the boys. Well, then we put the swings out back, and, you know, then when she was younger, she was always on the monkey bars and hanging from the the swings and doing not on the swing itself she was on the monkey bars and hanging hanging upside down so yeah and then when she got into um i guess sixth grade or so then she got a little more prissy but now i think that must have started something in her because now with lifting weights (laughs) and all the other stuff that she's doing (laughs) but i mean yeah she was she was a real monkey on the those um, monkey bars. Wow. Well, oh, I'm sure you guys could go on and on about yeah. your kids. What is there anything in y'all's life that you guys have found that like changed the trajectory of where you're at? I can think of one big one for you, but is there anything that's just like shaped your life specifically? Well, my photography shaped mine. What about you? Well, I think uh, your legislator. Yeah, that, but I even got to go back before then. I guess it's, uh, you know, my faith, your faith, our faith in Christ. That basically initially changed our lives. Right. Because it it, it, it it made us realize what was important and what your focus should be. Now, when was this? Uh, late 70s, 78, 79. I don't You guys are just working it. through things. At the things. time, I didn't really realize it. I'm, yeah, I mean... I got interested in the Bible. There's a number of us guys at work. For some reason, we all started getting interested in the Bible. Wow. And uh, Well, I got into photography yeah. in 78. Yeah. So it was like right after that is when... Is when I finished the cellar. I know Things that. started changing in our spiritual... Yeah. Like, did it feel like things were just starting to connect for you? It made sense? Like, that was like the pathway you're supposed well, to Well, I guess the biggest thing is when we ripped the kids out of the public school. When uh, uh, the, uh, oh, I forget, how what, what's their last name? Dennis oh, and the Farinos. Frignos, yeah, the Dennis Farignos Frignos. or Farinos or whatever. They, they were going to Exeter Bible, and uh, when our kids were going to the elementary public school, we had some problems in what they were teaching. And when Denny came home and told us that he was going to sue us because he, we weren't, he wasn't allowed, we weren't allowed to touch him, to hit him, or scold him, because he was going no to physical t- punishment. No yeah. physical punishment. 
And Otherwise, you, he'd call the sheriff. Yeah. And then we have tape of you and his his child just at Christmas. <laughs> no, this is Denny, I know, I know. Son. <laughs> and uh, so then we had an opportunity to talk to our, fr- our neighbors on the next court, and he was explaining different things to us about the school. So once we took the kids out of public school, I think our faith became stronger. Yeah. So, oh wow, yeah, but um, but I think that was the driving force that yeah. really uh, led us in our lives, really. Yeah. So you you don't think that you would have been prominent in photography or prominent in the legislature if you didn't have that? Well, well I wouldn't have been in the legislature because no. uh, I was. Yeah, I, I basically went in the legislature as a result of. Cubby and I were very involved in the pro-life movement. And uh, as it turned out, the more I read Scripture, the more I understood what God expected of us and me, uh, I started to get interested in politics. Yeah. uh, Because of the abortion issue and other moral issues and the fact that I began to realize that, you know, all law, all law is somebody's idea of morality. And uh, so it's not that uh, it's not that government shouldn't shouldn't uh, shouldn't legalize morality. Well, government's always going to legalize somebody's morality. Yeah. So why isn't it God's law? It's supposed to be God's law anyway. But anyway, uh, uh, that's basically why I ran for the legislature. Not really thinking I was going to win, and I won. I spent twenty years there. I was going to say you were an underdog. Yeah, you went into it. Yeah, yeah. The first, the first time. Yeah, nobody thought I was going to win, and I could understand that. But my photography, I started out. You know, I wasn't. I didn't uh, really understand any any religion, or un, You know, being a Catholic, that's mm-hmm. basically what I was. But I see now. You know, like then. The Lord brought the photography into my life because the photography is what paid for the kids' Christian education because little by little I was uh, expanding my business and earning money, and he always allowed me to earn enough to pay for the bills for the Christian schools for the kids. So I just I look back and I think that's why the photography was so much a part of my life for so long well, and at the same time i started my business and other side i mean outside of dollar jarvis i was working there full time and i always we all ever since we got married i i worked at least three jobs one full-time job and then usually two part-time jobs and then i decided to, to start a business which i did a tool and tool grinding business uh and I started that. Actually, I started it with a partner in 75, took it over from him, bought him out in 78, and I kept it. Well, she was all the way up into the mid-90s almost before I sold it. Uh, but that helped too. I mean, that uh, helped provide us with an income that we were able to, you know. It was, like I said, the Lord always yeah, provided yeah. whatever we had. So it was. Did it ever come across from you guys that you were kind of following a 
progress, not a, I don't want to say it's progressive, but it's a, a progress version of what your families did. Like you became a small business owner, you became a small business owner, coming from someone who had musical talent, uh, which I have none, never had any whatsoever. <laughs> but it's all, what's interesting yeah. is like musical talent is a form of communication, yeah. and you become a politician. You had started a business after your father had started a business and you even had you know the dark room in here did it ever come across to you guys that you guys were just essentially like continuing that trend uh, you know just common sense tells you you sort of pick up things that were positive in your parents life yeah and you pursue it i mean you want to do you know that's how you're taught yeah i was gonna say i think we both were raised in homes where you know if you want something you work for it yeah. yeah. You don't expect somebody to give it to you. You work I mean, for it. Even prior to that, before the photography, when I was a stay at home mom, when we moved up here in order to make ends meet, I was taking in ironing and washing yeah. and doing things at, to earn pin money to help pay for just little things that the kids would need at the time. So, And if we couldn't earn the money, we would sell something. Yeah. Just like the year you sold, we sold your bike. Sold your, my motorcycle. <laughs> his motorcycle in order to pay for the taxes. Yeah. You sold your Comet in order, in order to buy to, the uh, home. Yeah, in order to buy our first home. So, down payment. Yeah, that's the way it was. Yeah, you didn't expect, Handouts. you didn't expect the money to, you know, fall out of the sky to you. And you were too proud to go to your parents most times. We went to our parents twice. Yeah. And they turned us down. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> both times. So that was it. The first time was what when we wanted to buy the house, and we said, "Okay, that's it." So we sold the car. Yeah. And there was another time I think when we were doing something, and we borrowed. Oh, the business. My dad said no. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You wanted to start the business. Yeah. And dad said no. So we, but we moved on. Yeah. Nice. So. Do you guys have a single uh, most memory, um, most memorable memory that you guys have in your life, especially one that your kids, your grandkids, nobody really knows that you guys haven't like talked about? Nothing. Can't. Can't think of anything. We were always pretty open. (laughs) Okay. I always just find it funny because the more we talk, the more things that start to just get thrown into the story, like... Um, I don't know no, if funny. there is anything it's you know it's I guess in our subconscious it's not worth much okay <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of going after your careers is there um, have you guys reached a point of reflection do you guys look back on your life as all the time yeah <laughs> yeah you look back you realize you could have you should have done more uh, what what is the coulda shoulda what like I I imagine, especially someone in their 20s, you always go, oh, it, I could have traveled more. I could, or is it more well, relational? I, well, I think, you know, I can look back and say, gee whiz, when I, I said in earlier conversation here, I mentioned how much I hated school. There are times I think that, gee whiz, I wish I wouldn't have hated school. I wish I would have studied and learned. Now, I don't know where that would have taken me. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, uh, uh, on the other hand, uh, well. Like I told him earlier, I said, I just wish, you know, I go back. The only thing I regret is, I guess, there are 
things that I could have been a nicer person. You know, there were times you get a little, I guess, self-centered, and you look back and you realize how frivolous that is, how proud you can be. You think you're something you're not, you know. That kind of stuff. And the older you get, the real you begin to realize that the years ahead of you are getting shorter. <laughs> you know, so you start wondering, you you know, really what what more could I have done? What more could I have done for the Lord? Does that feel ominous though? Like I that, that scares me. Does that get to you guys? Uh, I don't know. It's not not scary. I don't know. But you think of it more. Okay. So that's still that scares me now that I think about it. <laughs> no, there was a time, I guess, well, when I was a little kid, I don't know, in grade school, and I guess it hit me. Gee whiz, someday I'm going to die. No, I can't run away from it. It's out there in the future somewhere, but someday I'm going to die. Yeah. And you realize now, gee whiz, that day's getting closer. <laughs> I mean, hopefully it's, you know, still years away. But that plays a part on you. You realize, gee whiz, have I treated my fellow man mm-hmm. right? You know, yeah. And I think you you become more forgiving too. You know, to people who, you know, I don't get excited. You know, if somebody cuts me off driving, because that's eh, fine. You know, what are you going to do? Yeah. That's I don't. I, yeah. You know, I, I I don't have. And there was a time when I used to have a lot more road rage in me. Now I don't. You don't take things so seriously. No. Anymore. No. What's the use? Yeah, don't let the little things get to you. Yeah, you're staying pretty quiet on this. Well, it's really <laughs> I can, I'm thinking about. I guess the only thing I sort of re, not so much regret for myself, but um, well, yeah, for myself is my father died too young. Yeah. He was my father. I, I loved him so much, and I still visualize him. I dream about him still after it's gone 41 years now and he just died too young he was a good man he just yeah he he was always there for us and you know he helped even though he called dennis a hot dog (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) he did Um, it's okay you finish what you're going to say (laughs) he did do a lot um you know, when when we got married, but prior to our marriage, my father was he was um, he was a man you respected. Yeah. He was a good man, low key. Um, <laughs> just I just uh, did a lot of things. My father used to do a lot, like help me with my homework, and he'd make me things. He, like I said, he built me the swings. Just yeah, I just think he died so young. Yeah, yeah, he did. He was what sixty four. Sixty four. Yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm was smiling thinking about my father in law and when when the first year we were married, we rented the home that, that was I right grew up in. that she grew up in that was right next to my father in law's business. Mm-hmm. So, and I was working at Dollars at the time. And I was working second shift, so I'd have the mornings off. I'd get up in the mornings, and because we were living in their house, and we did, we paid rent, yes. didn't we? We paid rent, but I was also, he expected me, you know, to do some stuff around the house. One of the things was mowing the lawn. 
<laughs> I hated to mow lawns back then. Yeah, I wouldn't mow my parents' lawn. He was lawn. only twenty-two years yeah, old. Yeah, and I, I hated, I just hated the idea of mowing a lawn. And he had this old mower. It's called a snapping turtle, and it's a rotary mower. Mm-hmm. And but the protection on the front of the mower to you know protect your hands or anything else from the blades hitting that was broke off. Oh my gosh! So it was just in the front of the mower, the exposed blades going around. <laughs> So, and I was always in a hurry to mow. Uh, so I, I'm out front and mowing around, and there's a lamp post that her father had made out of a downspout, mm-hmm. a downspout, and then he ran a wire up through it and had a nice light on top. That was their light outside. My father was the inventor. Yeah, that was their light, their porch light, more or less. It was in the ground though, mm-hmm. but because I didn't want to trim the grass around the pole. I figured I could mow close enough to it. Well, <laughs> that just that just zipped that thing off as clean. <laughs> and then, so, but he didn't really get all that upset about it. The only other time that I think he knew that I was probably the wrong or the poor choice for a son-in-law was... I was supposed to mow the lawn, and I tied a rope to the mower. There's a lot of themes here. It's all yeah. mowing the lawn. <laughs> yeah. I tied a rope to the mower and tied it to the tree. Oh, my God. And turned it on, and you this did not have a kill switch on it, mm-hmm. so you just put it in gear, and it would run by itself. I went over late in the hammock with a beer, and this mower is going around. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's leaving gaps in between. Yeah. <laughs> And that was it. He got mad about that. Just, I guess he thought this guy's a complete waste. Well, then he, <clears throat> you were also working in the shop with him for a yeah. time, so you'd go in late, and he gets he dock your pay. <laughs> yeah. Well, he wouldn't. He didn't. I didn't go in. One day I was five minutes late going in because we were still living there, and I used to help out in the morning. I was five minutes late, and. Uh, because I, I was supposed to start at nine. I mean, at eight o'clock, and I think I got there five after eight. At nine o'clock, he'd ring the bell f- for the coffee break. Mm-hmm. Right before he rang the bell, he came over to me and said, "Dennis, since you came in five minutes late today, you don't need the coffee break." I <laughs> <laughs> <He> said, "Okay." <laughs> Very strict. But he was a good father-in-law. He was. Wow. You guys have uh, shared so much with uh, me. Do you guys have anything else that you want out there? Do you guys want anything else that your your kids don't know, your grandkids don't know? Do you have any messages for them or like uh, advice? And for like life advice, anything. Just trust in the Lord and all you do. Yeah, I don't think you can get better advice than that. It's kind of like cheating almost. <laughs> well... <laughs> Really, I mean, thing is, our children are different states. We don't really, we've not really experienced a lot of their activities or anything. So, I, all I know is that they do go to church. They do believe in scripture. So, all I can say is, I pray for the children, and I just have to trust in the Lord, and they do too. Yeah. yeah. I do have to ask, does that wear on you guys, having a family so scattered? Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Would that be a bit of advice? Is like later, like to join up? Like I, I obviously me, Trey, and Tommy. Would that be advice to stay as close as possible, or do you guys just keep in touch? Is the biggest thing. Well, well, I think you. I mean, there again, you have to go where the Lord wants you to go. You may not know the Lord's leading you to certain places. Yeah. But, uh, well, it's different with us because our children grew up with their grandparents, yeah. and the grandparents are part of their lives. We're basically not part of our grandkids. Yeah, lives. we we don't have that closeness with our grandkids that. Yeah, you know that our kids had. We tried over the years, like I would have different functions and different, you know, we'd get together and stuff. But it it's it's different because, uh, you know, our parent we were all close. We were all in the same vicinity. Whereas now, I mean, we're talking states. Yeah, and it's. I mean, we're not alone in that. I mean, it's that's the modern family. Yeah. I mean, years ago, families basically stayed, you know, close together in the areas. But today, people are, their jobs take them all over the place. That's yeah. the way it is. So today, yeah. there's, yeah, there's people like the Georges and others who, whose kids and grandkids are close by. But that's not the norm today. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know our neighbors up the street, uh, number one, the one son was California, yeah. and the other is Virginia. Charlie's kids are Boston. Erie, Erie, and, Erie. and Boston. So, you know. I know people whose kids live in Alaska. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Dave Brewer, his son lives in England. So it's, you yeah. know, it's, it's just, that's, that's it's, life today. It's hard, yeah. 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 Well, um, I'm not going to keep you guys too long. I know uh, it's a seven o'clock we've been going for about time. an hour and 15 <laughs> minutes. That's plenty. I know you guys have plenty more that you could be speak spoken, but I know uh, I also... Save that for part two. That's it, part two. <laughs> Ten-year reunion. <laughs> uh, I do want to say thank you for doing this. Uh, I'm very appreciative of you guys in my life, and you guys are appreciative in all of our lives, so... And this isn't like you guys aren't dying, so this isn't obituary. <laughs> but I do appreciate hearing uh, hearing you guys' life. Like no one talks about the past. I feel like uh, this is one thing I've I wanted to do is because uh, everyone's about me and me and me or what's now. But no, everyone's losing their history. Like my family history is y'all's history. So it's it's nice to hear that. So thank you. Okay. God okay. Bless. Well, thank you. All right, guys. That's it. Thanks, guys, for listening. And I'm going to do an outro on this later. So thanks.